That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was in the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim we have fellowship with Him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And if we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar and His word has no place in our lives. Father, we come before You and we recognize this as Your word. I pray in Jesus' name that you would give us an opportunity to understand your word and to understand your way as you would have us to understand tonight as we begin learning from the book of 1 John. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would give us a new picture and a new understanding for our lives so that we might be made complete in your life and in your perfect plan for us. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you will take this word You'll dive it deep into our hearts and that we'll begin a process of growth and change uh, that will not end. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can be seated. I want you to picture it's dark and really early in the morning. Maybe even just close your eyes with me and picture this scene I'm going to set for you in your heads. It's four o'clock in the morning. It's still dark outside. You hear the rustling of sheets and blankets. And a small light turns on. There's a really old man. And he's getting up and starting his day. Not because he's really not tired anymore. It's just because he can't sleep anymore. As you hear the grunt and the groan of a, an elderly man getting up from his bed, he turns and he hangs his feet over onto the floor. Slowly, he makes his way up, sliding into his slippers and kind of sloughing across the floor. He washes his face in his one-room apartment, and he begins his day. But he doesn't begin his day as you and I might by checking his calendar and marking the things that are going to be accomplished. But he begins his day by immediately going to prayer. And as old bones and muscles creak and ache, the old man kneels by his bed and begins to pray for people by name. 
He begins to pray for churches by name, by location. His prayers go up and he begins to paint almost word pictures. One of the things we notice from the old man is the deeper he goes into prayer, tears begin to roll down his eyes and his cheeks and drip onto the floor. God be with them. God help them to see. God, they're being abused and they're being hurt and they're broken and I am in pain as I cannot be with them. John, having prayed for the best hour of his day, gets up and begins to go about his daily business. That's kind of the picture I want you to have in your minds of John, the author of this book. First John is a collection of thoughts and prayers and even Bible studies written by a man who grew up literally with Jesus. John met Jesus when he was very young, and so they kind of grew up almost as partners in this ministry that Jesus had called him to. At the time of writing this book, he's an old man nearing the end of his life. The church has grown quite a bit. There's, there's numbers of Christians. And now those Christians are second and third generation Christians. And you guys know, we know this, right? Like living in the valley, anything that goes to a second and third and even fourth generation sometimes loses the effectiveness as it goes. Whether it's a family farm or, or business, we know that things begin to change. And the thing that maybe great-grandpa set in place, now great-grandchildren have a little bit different take on it. Some things good, some things a little bit out of maybe what the original plan was. And John, John has a compassion for these people. He has a compassion for his church. And he's going to tell them the story of his life. He wants to proclaim to them and remind them how important it is that they really stick closely to what was originally handed to them. Literally, First uh, John is like a book of Bible studies with Grandpa Pastor John. Think about this. If you're a grandpa or my grandpa, some of you have great experiences with those who have come before you, some not so good, but picture my grandpa. He was a great guy, right? I wish my grandpa had set aside some Bible studies that just reminded me of some of the core value things that he'd like for me to hold on to. That's what John was doing here. He keeps saying things throughout the, the book like, My dear little children... If you were to go and translate it from the Greek, and I don't do that very often when I talk here, but uh, it, it's more like my born again little ones. He begins to proclaim this good message about these good things. This is grandpa writing to his spiritual grandchildren, people in their teens, 20s and 30s. He's an older man, probably in his 90s as he's writing this. After Jesus' resurrection from the death and ascension into heaven, Christianity had flourished and gone all over the world, mostly because of persecution. 
It would be kind of the idea that, that if we began to gather here and we filled up this grass area, you know, and, and I just dream one day of people just floating in the pool while I speak to you. I love that idea. But um, I would like to be doing that now, just to say, all right? Um, but just picturing all these people here, and then suddenly something happens where we begin to be oppressed and they tell us we're not allowed to do this anymore and they begin to pressure us and they begin to come in and say no 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 we're gonna we're gonna take you guys out this isn't gonna happen what happens then is then pockets of us start meeting in small places here and there and what happens is there's a dispersion that takes place in john He's talking to people that have basically come together, heard the good news, and then dispersed throughout all kinds of regions and countries and places. John wrote in a very loving and personal letter some things that the church need to hear. And, and there were some things uh, that, that really kind of classify and clarify us uh, for us what John was actually talking about but the the first thing is he he includes seven rebukes things that he's upset with the people about in addition to things that he wants to help them out with in this book that we'll read together and hopefully maybe during the week you can do some bible studies on it and those kind of things there's seven basic things that that he says i'm concerned about the first one would be tolerating false teachers He says things like, hey, I came to you or we came to you with the good message and now you're listening to the lies of these people. He's really upset. So he warns them about that. He also warns them about a fading love for Jesus. Again, it's something that happens over time. We forget how we got here. We never want to forget that. He also goes on to describe that there's sinful sexual conduct happening even among the church that they've loosened up their borders so much or they've they've become so lax in the way that they looked at morality he's saying there's some things that are out of line here that we have to talk about that it's not going to be okay if you carry on this way they also were welcoming satanic teaching through false prophets now let me just be clear all right whenever i'm talking about you know, like false prophets or satanic teaching or anything like that or anything like that comes up i'm never really talking about somebody who comes in with like a pitchfork and horns and all that kind of stuff what it does uh, and what we're specifically talking about is that those moments where you feel like convicted in your heart about something like i know this should be part of my deal or i know that i shouldn't be participating in this these conversations are not healthy i shouldn't be going there but you begin to rationalize in your mind no it's okay it's like for this these any number of people that uh, we've talked to I, I remember counseling some different ones and I'm not going to go into detail but uh, affairs that have taken place where there's a man at work and it just starts off as innocent conversations and one thing moves to the next and it's like finding your validation with one another and then you begin to draw apart from your mate and and all the while there's somebody going yeah but you deserve this but you need this right it's not like it comes in and goes hey do drugs tomorrow yeah nobody starts there hey go cheat on your wife yeah nobody starts there but what it starts with is is the people who come in and validate your thoughts that are drawing you aside from the original plan or maybe the convictions that you have in your heart 
They're, he warned them about their ministry lacking fruitful growth. He said, you've been together for a really long time and nobody else is showing up. Okay, so I'm going to tell you, on average at Pipeline Church, we've had about eight new families a week show up since we started on the 10th of May. And so we've got this massive group of people that have been coming and going, and it's been incredible. And some of you have just come really recently, and it's totally pumping us up. But here's where we get nervous. It's like, what about those first two, three, four weeks where nobody new shows up? I don't want to see that happen. This is something that we need to continue to take outside of our borders. We need to continue to take outside of who we are and what we're doing. We need to invite people in our community and continue to grow. And John was warning them, hey, you've been hanging out with the same 20 people for too long. It's getting unhealthy. You need some new blood, some fresh vision. And finally, he also uh, began to warn them of their weariness from constant persecution. He said, I know you're tired. I know it's, it's wearing on you, but don't get so tired from your, everything everybody's doing around you that you just give up. I need you to carry on. See, in this day, they were talking about these guys that were coming in. They, they call them the Gnostics, G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S. And the Gnostics were, were people who came with a belief in Christ or they came with a knowledge of Scripture. And what they did is they began to insert Greek uh, philosophy and these pictures of both uh, where, where God is both good and evil. And, and they've got these other pictures of things. They call it dualism. Plato and the other great philosophers talked about these kind of things and they would talk about the material and the non-material and, and what is spiritual reality really and what they started doing is kind of scratching the itches of all those people who had grown up just hearing about Jesus and Jesus is the answer and Jesus is the truth and Jesus is the way and they decided you know what I just want to hear a little bit more it's interesting because uh, if you hang out very long, um, whether you're cruising Amazon and the digital book world or you actually go to bookstores, right? That's, there's very few of them nowadays. But you can go in and you see the giant section of books uh, titled Self-Help, right? And it's everything from diets to mental health to everything else that goes along in there. That's the section that the Gnostics lived in. There were the, those were the kind of things. It's the, the Oprah Winfrey's of what's going on, right? Like, here, I'm going to give you just enough truth mixed with enough of these kind of things that, that it'll actually flavor it down so you can feel good about yourself and you can realize that you're good enough and you're strong enough and brave enough and darn it, people like you, right? And, and, and what they were doing was taking away their passion for Jesus and turning it more into a passion for self. And a drive for self. And John came in and said, hey, it can't be like this. They encouraged a dislike for the material world, but then taught about doing things that, that satisfied your own physical cravings above your spiritual nature. They said, um, if we sin with our physical bodies, it doesn't corrupt or affect our spirit. It's okay if you sleep around. It's okay if you, you know, uh, get drunk and do crazy things all over the place. I know you're not supposed to do that. I know that's what that says. But really, that doesn't change your spiritual nature at all. There's no place in there. And what it started to do is relax the people who were calling on the name of Christ. 
And really, as you hear John, he's saying, you're making a mockery of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And he begins to call out to the church saying, please don't do that anymore. They taught that there were things like a greater revelation. And John came along and he, he in chapter 2, he starts uh, coming against people that came out as like antichrist or lying to people and deceiving one another and false prophets and all those things. Now let's, now let's go back to who John really is. John was the youngest of the disciples. John was among the inner circle of disciples that Jesus held around him close. Even called the disciple that Jesus loved. Actually, he called himself that, but hey, we'll, we'll go with it. He not only prepared the Last Supper, but sat in the seat of friendship next to Jesus. And following the Last Supper, John witnessed Jesus weeping and sweating blood as he prayed and he looked to God for relief. Then John was appointed by Jesus to care for his mother Mary. And three days after Jesus' death, John was the first person to enter his empty tomb. He was the first person also to recognize that Jesus, after he had risen from the dead, and later stood gazing into the sky as Jesus ascended into the heavens. John carried on the ministry of Jesus with faithful and courageous devotion. Leading the church through its early seasons of struggle and persecution and sin and heresy. And at this point, this is crazy to think, when he wrote this book, every other apostle had been murdered. And John continued to lead the early church. An attempt was made to murder John. They boiled him alive. But God spared his life. So John was probably pretty gnarly looking by this time. I can't imagine what it looked like to be boiled alive, but I have seen Marvel comic movies, and it's not a pretty thing, right? John was then exiled to this island called Patmos, where on a sad Sunday, sitting by himself, contemplating his ministry and nursing his wounds, he was visited by Jesus, who came down from heaven in all of his glory and lovely, lovingly encouraged his dear friend, and he wrote about it. John eventually returned from that exile to Ephesus and continued his ministry. And it's recorded in church history that when he was too old and feeble to preach or even stand, John had himself carried into the church. And with a weak voice, he simply articulated the heart that Jesus had for all of his children and all of his people saying this, little children, love one another. It seems to me that this is the natural place that we should go as Pipeline Church. That we should go to this book and look through some of these small letters that Grandpa John wrote the church. So that we can gain a firm foundation as to what we're supposed to be about and what we're supposed to be doing. A lot of us have come from churches or have come out of places where we've been hurt by churches or, or maybe we've had some idea of it, but our life kind of took a path to the side and, and we kind of just drifted from where we were. And for a lot of us sitting here in this yard, it feels a lot better than sitting in a pew in a congregation somewhere in this community. And this is what I believe God wants to do for us. It's not necessarily a bad thing. 
It's not necessarily uh, to deal with us and go, okay, you know, we're going to fix you all up. That's not, that's not what I think God wants for us to do. But God has put a holy discontent in a lot of us for what's typical and normal. And he's encouraged us and light, lit our hearts to something different. And it's this, to reset our path and get back on the path that he intended us to be on. That John, even from his very deathbed, proclaimed, just love one another. With his words, John proclaimed love and peace and joy. But on the very same hand, John had a heart that wouldn't let people stay in their sin. So we want to guard as well. This is why I feel secondly that this is important for us to take this journey. Because it would be one thing if we just, you know, hey, yeah, you got all these issues, you got all these problems, just come on, everybody, you know, love God, love others. Ooh, great. But there's places in our life that God wants to say, no, I want to remove that from you. If you have an issue with this, he wants to remove this from you and carry you to a new place. Each of us, if we were to be honest, we would say there's places that we're broken. There's places that we're just not good at. There's places where we've laid aside maybe whether it's our morality or our convictions, our understanding of what God's done for us. We've, we've somehow, in some way, rationalized a lot of things. God says, here's what I want to do. I want you to teach you to love one another. And then I want you to understand how to love me. And in the process, I'm going to begin the process of restoring your heart. And regenerating your soul. And the things that you once craved, the Holy Spirit of God is going to take away and renew. As we look into just this section of scripture that we read tonight, there's a few things that John wanted to do in the book. He wanted people to have a better picture of God, he wanted people to have a better picture of what it meant to be redeemed. And he wanted people to have a better picture of what it meant to live in community. You could say it's a theological transformation, a moral transformation, and a social transformation. He wanted to see people understand God. He wanted to see people understand the places that we find ourselves. And he also wanted to help people understand how to work together and love together. One of the things that John pointed out, and, and we'll talk about it in just a second here as we look again at this scripture just for a moment. John wanted us to realize that we're not saved by doing good things, but rather saved people just naturally do good things because their hearts have been changed and renewed and refreshed. I don't do good things for other people because I want to score points with God. I do good things for people because God's changed my heart. And it just comes out of me. I saw a guy today that I haven't seen for several months. He was uh, over at the restaurant we were at. And he was checking out. He's like, hey, do you remember me? And I had like just this faint picture of him in my head. And he said, how are you doing, man? I haven't seen you for so long. I said, honestly, like every day is great. He was like, I know, that freaks me out. Like, you always have good days. And the truth of it is, God has blessed us and he's encouraged us. And even if I was in the, a, a really bad place, there would be some place where I know God is at work to where I can say I've been redeemed today and I know that God's at work. My hope is that we as a church portray that to the world around us 
and that we look different to the world around us. So here's how I want to end. I want to take us through verses 5 through 10 and just read those. It says, this is the message we've heard from him and declare to you that God is light. In him there is no darkness. We love the idea of being in light. We need the light. The light is refreshing. The light is good. Have you ever met somebody who lives in Seattle and doesn't see the light of day for a very long time because it's raining all the time there? One, be jealous because of the rain. Number two, brag because we get the sunshine. The thing we get is we get the joy. And when you find a lot of people, even our physiology responds to the light. In verse 6, it says, If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live the truth. Here's one of the things that I would encourage. There's a lot of people in our world that would say, yeah, I believe in Christ. But they've never taken on Christ as their very own. What they've been doing is they've been living near the light, but not in the light. Our challenge is for us to be in the light. To be completely and fully exposed and completely and fully known by God. And the crazy thing is, those who are near the light sometimes receive the blessing that comes with being near. But they don't understand the regeneration and the redemption that happens from being in the light. We want to be people that are in the light. And finally, as we finish these last couple verses, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all and every sin. Darkness brings separation. We all have this nagging sense that we have no right or ability to be in the light. But that's where the blood of Jesus comes in. And John's reminding us there that we need to have this experience and we don't need to be separated any longer. In verse 8 it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He's directly confronting the people that are speaking false truth. In verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And that's the message of the gospel. That's the hope of which we speak. And I just want to end with this thought. Are we proclaiming the message? Love one another. Think bigger than yourself. Encourage the people around us. In the next few weeks, we're going to take small chunks and just walk through what Pastor John, Grandpa John, would say. But I think the big overriding picture is this. Look at the world. See what the world says and see what the world is doing and see how that matches up with what God is doing inside of you. Don't let the people around you who are sick be sick any longer. And in the places where you see yourself being sick and overburdened, You don't have to live there either. If you're healthy, be on mission. If you're sick, find wholeness and health. That's what Grandpa John has to say to us tonight. I just want to pray with you as we close this up. Father God, we come before you right now, and I thank you for the opportunity to be here. I thank you for the opportunity to worship you, to to just glorify the work that you're doing even here. God, I thank you for John, and I thank you for his work that that you held him so close. God, I pray that you would help us to learn from this good book. 
and these studies that he's written. God, I pray for any of us who are here tonight and we've got things that we feel like are hidden from you. I pray that you would open up our eyes to see that there is nothing hidden from you. God, would you help us to feel the deep convictions of our sin? Would you help us to know the deep compassion of your almighty love? Father, I just praise you and glorify you for all that you are. Thank you for a good church and a healthy people and your good work. And before we're done here tonight, I just want to give an opportunity. If you're here and you have not, if you have not, made peace with the Lord in your own heart and your own life. Nobody's going to be looking around. We're still, we like to close our eyes for a long time and just feel the breeze. But you have not physically said, God, I surrender my life to you. And, and I want it. I, you, I want you to be my God. And I want to pray with you tonight before we leave. And there may be a bunch of you here and there may be none of you here, but I never want to miss an opportunity for someone to come home. So if that's you tonight, and you'd like to say, I've got some sin, and I need forgiveness, and I want God to be my God. All you need to do is just raise your hand, look at me. I'll acknowledge you, and then we'll just finish in prayer. Now would be the time to do that. So God, we thank you for this night, for your grace, for your mercy. We trust in Jesus' name that you're leading us to places that only you can take us. We praise you in your good name. Amen and amen. Would you worship with us?